Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to the interview edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we've got three guests on this week's show. You know, Labor Day week, shortened week, Jewish New Year. Still managed to get three great interviews to share with you folks for this wonderful week. So I do want to wish everybody who is celebrating Jewish New Year a happy Jewish New Year. I hope everybody had a successful return to school for their little ones in Canada that uh, are going back to school this week. I had uh, my kindergarten age son go to school for the first time this morning and it was something of a disaster. So I hope yours got, went a little bit better this week. But uh, let's get to why you're listening to the show, which is not to hear aspects of my personal life, but rather to hear the interviews that have been conducted this, this uh, past week. rather. Let's start off with the winner from this past weekend, who is moving his way up to title contention in the middleweight division. In fact, many are arguing that maybe he should get the next title shot after Israel Adesanya defends his title against Robert Whitaker, against the winner of that fight. And that is Derek Brunson. Man's on a roll, five in a row. Big win over Darren Till this past weekend. Got to catch up with Derek Brunson and discuss that. Also a pioneer in the Zufa era, the first female color commentator is Laura Sanko, who has been pushing for this opportunity for some time, and finally it has manifested itself into a role on the Dana White Contender Series, and it's not a new addition to the team, it's not a new role for Laura, it's an additional role for Laura. It's, you combine the two, because she's still doing all of her other duties on the show, so very impressive to see Laura Sanko be able to go from uh, the backstage interviewer, the interviewer after the show, and to go and do commentary and be able to juggle all of those at the same time. So kudos to Laura Sanko, and I had a great conversation with her that you're going to want to check out. And finally, speaking of the Contender Series, a Canadian, Chad and Helliger, or Chad and Helliger, sorry, it's and Helliger. I just spoke to him today, and we just talked about this. Chad and Helliger becomes the second Canadian to earn a contract on the Dana White Contender Series in a win over Muin Gafarov, who was looking to become the first Tajik fighter to uh, get a UFC contract. But it was not to be because Chad and Helliger looked fantastic, did what he needed to do to earn a split decision win in a great fight, and he is now the latest Canadian to sign a UFC contract in the bantamweight division. And we chatted while he was at his job at Bass Pro Shop in Calgary. Fun talking to him. And getting to pick his brain now that he is on the UFC roster. So thank you for tuning in. Looking forward to you listening to these interviews and uh, sharing them with your friends and family. Because uh, we all know that everybody loves mixed martial arts. Not just you. Everybody. So you got to make sure we spread this around. Spread the wealth. A bunch of good interviews. And uh, in order to spread that wealth, one thing I ask you to do. Rate and review the show. Wherever you find your podcasts. It's always much appreciated. So, without further ado, let's get to... Derek Brunson, followed by Laura Sanko and Chad and Helliger on this week's TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. One expression is blonde hair don't care. Another is blonde hair don't lose. That's Derek Brunson's expression as he is undefeated since going blonde. And, uh, of course, a big win this past weekend over Darren Till. Uh, tell me a little bit about your preparation for this. I know he had a torn ACL 10 days before, but you didn't come into this without injury either. 
Yeah, you know, um, that's all fighters. You know, we always in, always injured, always banged up. Um, I got other injuries, but you know, I don't want to disclose them. You know, that's just part of fighting. You know, that's part of sports. You know, but uh, yeah, I messed up my ribs. You know, about four weeks before the fight. So as soon as I get down to South Florida to Sanford, um. I had a rib injury and it pretty much sidelined me for like three weeks. So I was pretty much just doing cardio, hitting pads, um, doing a little bit of sprints and stuff like that and trying to stay as sharp as I can. Yeah, I, I heard that you got kicked in the ribs by somebody who was, uh, you know, about two bills 40. And I'm just curious who it is. I, I need to know who, who you got in there with th this close to the fight that, that, that got you. Man, it was, it was one of my buddies. You know, funny enough, the guy used to fight 185, kind of fights 205. And he's like 240 right now, just walking around. And we was actually doing something for the cameras. Like, it was sparring day, but we were doing for, like, the UFC show. And um, he just kind of kicked me in the rib. And I'm like, mm, winced a little bit, kicked me again. And I'm like, all right, man, you know, we're about to really get into a fight right now. But, um, yeah, that, that was the extent of it, man. He, he caught me twice in the ribs pretty good. And you can do things with a broken rib, you know, as we saw this past weekend. But in terms of lifting, in terms of training, it, that probably really hinders that because you don't want to aggravate it, especially if you want to stay in the fight. Exactly. Yeah, that was one of the things, man. We just had to do, like, uh, injury management, I guess. Do what we could do. We couldn't really spar. We couldn't wrestle. Uh, we could hit pads, hit the bag, kind of like, you know, do some circus and stuff. But that first week that it happened, it was kind of rough because it was kind of hard to breathe and stuff like that. And yeah, man, it, it was tough, man. It was it was close to being thinking about pulling out of the fight or rescheduling the fight, you know. But um, we got through it. We kept getting better week by week, and we was able to get one sparring session in like the, the week before. So Darren, I spoke to him last week, and he said he actually set this fight up. He had sent you a message saying, "You're not going to get a bigger name opponent than me. Can we do this at the end of August or September?" Um, you ended up agreeing. Is that was it just as easy as that? Yeah, I mean, it was it was two guys. Initially, I was angling for Paula Costa, you know, who was the number two guy in the division. Um, the UFC sent him a contract. I didn't get anything back. He wasn't interested in fighting. You know, uh, it was just always an excuse. So Darren Till was the next guy who made a lot of sense, had a lot of hype behind him. He was looking at an opportunity to really get his momentum going in the weight class. So it's a fight that made sense for the division, and we got it done. And you got it done uh, on Saturday night. Again, five-fight uh, win streak. What was really the difference maker for you after the fight with Israel back in 2018? Is that when you moved over to Sanford and, and started going there pretty much part-time split between your, your I guess, hometown and, and there? Yeah, you know, we just had to get better or, or more training partners at my level. So that's why we made the trip to Sanford. And I went down there for a week to, to try it out right after the Izzy fight. And it was perfect. You know, I was like, okay, cool. You know, I'm, I'm going to come out for months at a time. And we did that, and we've been, you know, 5-0 and since being down there, you know. Just really good team, really good vibes, good coaching. Um, we got doctors there. You got strength and conditioning. Everything that you need to get ready for the high-level fights. I know North Carolina is relatively close to Florida, but how many hours of a drive is it if you were to, you know, go back home for a weekend or something? Do you ever do that? Is it, what is it, about 10 hours? Yeah, about that, about nine hours. And, yeah, if, if I was to go home, like, the previous camps, I went home or, like, Three out of five camps, I went home. I was there for two weeks, went home for two weeks, went back for two weeks, then went to the fight. Um, this past fight, I didn't because I injured my ribs. So um, 
I had to stay over the weekend to try to like make up for training because like I said, I was down for a week where I couldn't train. So I had to like make up strength and conditioning, kind of like not be flying, get my ribs shook all over the place. So, you know, it was five weeks away from home without seeing the family. It was pretty tough, but you know, it was a sacrifice that needed to be made. Yeah, that's what's kept you uh, home in the past was was staying home with your family, wanting to stay in North Carolina for that reason. Um, have you been, I guess your kids are probably a little bit older now. Does it make it a little bit easier for you to bounce back and forth between the two or to do a lot of your camps uh, mostly at Sanford? It's still hard, you know, because um, time is one of those things you can't get back. Like you can get money back. I mean, some guy can be broke zero dollars in a bank account or let's let's give them five dollars let's say they play the powerball and they hit the powerball and hit it for like 30 million so they can go from zero or five dollars to 30 million you know but time you can't get that back so that's that's one of the things is just trying to find that balance and managing as much as possible away understanding that you know that's one of the things you can't get back or you know you got to be accountable or want to know what's going on when you're at home so you just gotta be creative you know facetime you know, talking on the phone, Instagram. My, my daughter's like Instagram, so if they're not texting me, I can find them on Instagram, stuff like that. Because how many weeks of the year, I guess, are you away from them? I would say, so let's say I fight three times a year. That's five weeks. So, you know, 15 weeks. Was that? Yeah, so that's, that's a good chunk of the year, yeah. I mean, that's like basically anybody who travels for long periods of time, that they probably have that time apart, but it's not in a row, you know, like people aren't traveling for two months at a time or whatever it is. That must be the, the really hard part. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely tough, you know, it's definitely challenging. But um, in life, man, you got to make some sacrifices, you know, everything isn't going to be ideal and perfect. So the next fight in the middleweight division for the title is going to be Israel against Robert Whitaker, that rematch. Um, and then I think there are two people that can make a case for the next shot. It's yourself and Jared Cannonier. Uh, now, Cannonier's never fought Israel. He's the fresh opponent, but he also has only won one fight uh, in a row, whereas you've won five in a row. Uh, is that what your case is? I mean, I mean, if you were to be asked why you over Cannonier, is that the, the explanation? Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, look at my body of work. I think uh, Cannonier is six and four in the UFC. I'm 14 and five in the UFC, you know, um, all the guys that I beat are still relevant, even down to, you know, Sam Alvey, um, um, Ed Herman. Those guys are still in the UFC, whereas, you know, look at um, Cannoneer, a lot of guys that he beaten aren't in the UFC, you know. So, like, you know, I just have a lot of fights and a lot of wins in the UFC. I'm on a nice streak, you know. I think body of work definitely means, should mean something, you know, when it comes to the sport and what you're doing in, in the division at the time. You've been, I guess, uh, you started with Strikeforce more than 10 years ago, and you've, had, you've been very busy. I mean, you look at your schedule, and you're averaging two, three fights a year for the most part, uh, consistency. How do you manage to stay at such a high level? I mean, we've seen guys like Michael Bisping get a title very late in their career. What do you think has been the key for you to be able to stay this healthy for your career and, and still perform at, at the highest possible level? It's funny, man. I was talking to my manager the other day, and he was like, you know, you're 37. You shouldn't be performing like this. I'm like, yeah. I was like, you know what? It's really no secret. It's like, I take care of my body. Um, I don't look for any cheats. So, like, you know, a lot of guys looked for PEDs and stuff like that, and their body get relied upon it, where I've never done that. And I trained two times a day. I've done it from the beginning of my career to now, every single day. Whereas I've trained with a lot of, like, past veterans, guys that were, like, 
uh, pioneers of the sport. And I'll see them like training super hard at the beginning of their career. And by the time they get towards the end of their career, they may be training once a day. They'll take like three or four days off and train once again, you know, that day. So like, I just keep the same routine that I have from the beginning up until now. And, and it keeps my body in shape, keeps me, you know, keeps me going. Now tell me if you agree with this. I think that you were cast in a gatekeeper role in the division. You're an older guy, veteran. You've been around. You've beaten a lot of really big names. And they want to push somebody over you. They want to, they want to boost a guy like Edmund Shabazi and like Kevin Holland, like Darren Till. But the, the way that you become a contender is when you are the gatekeeper, if you just keep beating everybody that they bring to the gate, you eventually get to, get to the next level. Do you think that that's basically what's happened here? I mean, if that's what you call it, you know, I think it was more of I fought a lot of guys in front of me. So those guys are really contending for a fight for, for the, for the title. So the guys behind me, I haven't fought those guys. I didn't beat those guys. So it was like, okay, we can't get them, give him somebody in front. He lost to that guy. So we'll give him somebody behind. Him. Oh, he lost to this guy. These guys match. So we give him somebody behind. So it was a matter of, oh, let's see how you do. Let's see how you do. I win. And then it's like, okay, well now we have to start talking about if we got guys that's in front of him that he beat. Now you got to rematch those guys, you know, and those things are earned, you know, back into title contention and stuff like that. So, you know, I, if, if that's how, the, what the word gatekeeper means, or that's how you do things, then, you know, it, it makes sense. But I never looked at it like that. I looked at it as like, hey, I wasn't getting it done against the elite. So in order to earn myself back a title uh, fight with those guys or to the top, then I got to put in some work, you know, whereas, you know, Whenever I lost to Izzy, let's say a fight after that, nobody was talking about me rematching Izzy. They're like, oh, he beat you pretty good, you know? Uh, but now we're talking about it, you know? So, like, this is uh, just what I've earned in the body of work that I put in. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's exactly it. It's like you, you have earned uh, the next title shot from where you're at. I think that, again, I think Jared Cannonier is kind of the X factor here. So if they were to call you, say, in December and say, hey, we want you to face Jared Cannonier in February, the winner of this fight's going to get the next title shot. We guarantee it. Is that something that you would be open to doing? I can't say I wouldn't, you know what I mean? I, I kind of know how this game go. I know what's going to go on. You know, I'm going to play my cards as I think they should be played and how I want it to go. But at the end of the day, you know, we're all here to fight. And I know it's me, Jared Cannonier, Izzy, and uh, Whitaker, you know. Something can happen. Whitaker can get injured, per se. Um, so, you know, then they're going to need somebody to fight Izzy for the title, you know. So, like, it's, it's several options, you know. My thing is, like, you know, I've always been trying to force things for all these years. Now I just like to sit back a little bit, let it play out, take care of my business, and then, you know, that's, that's how I choose to do things now. And at your age, you kind of have to be a little bit selective about what you're going to do next. I mean, this, this opportunity to be where you are right now is not going to come along again in, in three years, I would guess. Yeah, for sure. You know, the, the time is now. You know, we, we're firing at the, right, at the right time. We're getting better. Um, I feel right now I have all the perfect training partners and everything to get me ready for these big fights you know even when israel uh, had a sign you know i got like tyrone spong who you know is is one of the best kickboxers of all time so like i have those type of guys to get ready for for these big fights and yeah i just need to pull the trigger you know if, if canon is the next fight canon is the next fight you know but uh, i'm not selling myself short or thinking I'm not deserving of a title fight. If they book the title fight between Whitaker and Adesanya maybe in December, then, you know, February, March isn't a long time to wait. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and one other thing I wanted to ask you about, you did an interview last week where you talked about your parents that they both uh, were a little bit touch and go with COVID. Are they doing okay now? Yeah, they're doing, they're doing good, you know, but it was, it was a little scary time, man. It's funny, man. I got to 
camp on a Sunday and my parents went to the hospital on a Sunday, you know? Um, and they were bad. Like my mom was like one step from like life support, like ventilator. And they like battled all the way back. You know, my dad talked to my dad, like two weeks after being in the hospital and he was talking about writing out a will and stuff like that. I'm like, Hey man, let's just focus on getting better fighting this. I'm like, you guys want to pull through, you guys want to fight it. Um, yeah, man, we just stayed at it for days and days. My sister is a nurse, so she was communicating with the nurses at the hospital, and we were just back and forth every day. And, yeah, man, it was definitely a little scary time, you know, weird time figuring, you know, hey, this it might be a reality where I don't have my parents, you know? you know. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like this was not the easiest camp for you. I mean, it seems like you had a lot of turbulence, but you were able to get through it. Yeah, definitely wasn't the easiest camp. You know, had a lot of adversity, but... You know, I learned to deal, just fight for all these times. I know things are going to come up and you got to learn to deal with it. It's funny. I got back home, uh, what, Saturday? Went in the fight, got to finish, tough opponent. Like I said, Darren Till fought Whitaker. Whitaker wasn't able to finish him. He beat Gassum. Gassum almost beat Izzy. So, you know, we got a pretty formidable opponent that we just beat, you know, got to finish there. I get home keep my bags. I'm like, Hey, I need to grab some food. So I'm going to a fast food to grab some wings real quick. And I'm stopped at a stop site, stop sign. And somebody boom, just hit the back of me. This lady had a stroke and she hit my car and she, she come from like, I'm in the, I'm in the middle lane. She comes from the third lane, the far lane, hits my car, clips my car, hits the next car. I jump out my car and I had to like open up her car, step in her car, put the, put her car in like park and cut her car off. But she was like, and she was like foaming at the mouth the whole time. So I'm like, of course, like everything can't be perfect. You gotta be a little chaos in this world, you know? So yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> that's so that, was, that was before time. the fight or after the fight? After the fight. As soon oh, as geez. I get home, like 15 minutes to landing. Yeah. Oh, geez. Well, so my, 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 my truck, my Ford expedition is all like smashed up. I gotta take it to like, I did like the insurance claim and all that, but I got to take it to like the, the auto body shop and get it fixed up. Well, I hope I'm glad you're okay. I'm, I hope she's okay. That's uh, that sounds like a pretty uh, interesting thing to come home to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, like I said, man, it's, it's, oh, something's always going to come up. You know, everything is, isn't going to be a hundred percent. That's what I tell a lot of people, you know, life is going to have adversity, but don't get like all bent out of shape. Keep everything in perspective. And, you know, it could have been worse. You know, it's all good. I know fighters don't look at odds. Did you see what the odds were for you to win by submission on Saturday? No, but I I, I seen what they were after because my my teammates bet or my friends bet I think eighty five dollars and he won like twenty five hundred. Yeah, it was like twenty five to one odds for you to win by sub. I guess people aren't respecting your submission games, but you have submission finishes. Bro, I'm, yeah, I'm a I'm a Hizzle Gracie black belt. You know, <laughs> you just don't you don't have a Hizzle Gracie black belts running around. You know, like Jan, John Donahue. Uh, a lot of guys, Dave Branch, um, what's my guy's name? Ray Longo, um, Matt Sarah, Matt Sarah, excuse me. Yeah. I, it was just like on tip of my tongue, but yeah, Matt Sarah, you know? So yeah, man, I, I got a crazy submission game and it's, it's, I haven't been able to show it because I haven't been on my back and, you know, top, I'm always looking to punch and get the finish, but yeah, you know, I think we start showing it a little bit more. Well, you've got those hands, so to have that in your back pocket is probably a blessing. Uh, Derek, thank you for this. Uh, yeah. Best of luck on what's going, going on for you next. Uh, the future is very bright, and I appreciate your time. All right, thanks a lot. 
It's one of my favorite times of the year, Tuesday Night Fights, and it's not a new addition. It's not a new role. It's an additional role for Laura Sanko doing just about everything on the Contender Series. So how did this come about? Oh, my goodness. Well, that's a that's a very long answer. <laughs> it's been something I've been uh, working toward and sort of trying to manifest, ask for all of the things for, gosh, years now. Um, but in terms of it actually happening, it was kind of crazy how it happened. Uh, I, I really I only found out the evening before the show. So um, it was a very last minute thing. Got a text from Dana as I was in the air on my way to, to Vegas and that just said, Hey, come see me in my office. And, uh, he delivered the news when I landed and then I had to go to it, you know, walk into a series of meetings, which of course contained a lot of changes based on what we were thinking we were going to be doing or what I thought I was going to be doing. So, uh, it's been a whirlwind, but it's been a really fun and really gratifying whirlwind. Well, you answered my next question, which, which was going to be how soon, how, how much notice did you have? And I figured it was going to be something along those lines where they yeah. they go through this gut sometimes. And I guess that's probably what happened. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I, I know it had been discussed before and it's just kind of one of those things that, you know, got, I don't, I don't know the behind the scenes, but I'm, I'm happy it happened. And in some ways, I feel like the fact that it was so last minute worked to my benefit. I didn't really have time to uh, overthink anything. And I was fortunate in an, enough in a way that the two other times I had broken into doing color commentary were also super last minute. Cause when I did, uh, I had done play by play for Invicta before, but when I did my first color analyst role for Invicta, it was the morning of the show. So like zero time to prepare for that one. And then kind of a similar situation with the LFA. Um, also very, very, I think like less than a day's notice for that one as well. So when this came about, I was like, Oh, I got this. I've done this before. We can, we got this. Yeah, you've been in a similar situation uh, with, with those gigs, which I think that's the best way to do it. Instead of, like you said, overthink it, try to talk yourself into situations where you're going to basically jinx yourself. You, you yeah. basically just go and do it, and it's right there in front of you. So, And I think you've done a marvelous job so far. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I think sometimes I, I have... I love to prep. I'm kind of a nerd at heart. I love to study. I will um, I will overanalyze. I will go down every rabbit hole on a fighter. And at the end of the day, uh, it really just, I, I just, I know fighting. So and sometimes, sometimes I can over prepare. <laughs> so uh, it, it certainly was something that worked to my benefit on last, last Tuesday. Well, you mentioned manifesting this. And if I was a betting man, I would have bet that the first female col uh, color commentator in the UFC would have been you. But uh, what, what kind of things did you do outside of just mentioning it in interviews, which I know you've, you've done for several years, uh, yeah. to, to get into this situation where you, you know, basically let the UFC know that this is something that you've really dreamed of doing? Gosh, um, I mean, quite quite literally, a lot of just conversations with myself. Um, I think when I first started out wanting to do this, it was, uh, if I'll, if I'm honest, it was it was more about the drive I had for me, which I'm a very I'm a competitive person, I'm a driven person, and I always have to have something to be reaching toward. And this was the thing that I wanted. Um, and then I would say within this year specifically, the beginning of 2021. I was starting to feel some amount of frustration um, because anytime you have a goal, you want to see those intermediary steps like, oh, I'm getting somewhere. And I felt like I really wasn't getting anywhere toward this. I could see movement in my career overall, but not necessarily the direction I wanted it to go. So uh, in January, it became a literal daily practice for me to wake up and envision what it would be like uh, 
to have what I wanted and to, to reach that goal and put myself in those situations, visualize them. And then in addition to that, I mean, you can't just think about stuff. You have to take action. So for instance, when, when the LFA opportunity came, that was something I sought out, not because it, it wasn't like it, it, it was handed to me. You know, I, I, and I hate that opportunities would ever come, you know, a door would open for me based on it shutting for someone else. Um, that's not ever something I enjoy thinking about. But when I saw that Pat wasn't going to be working with the LFA, Pat Militich wasn't going to be working with the LFA, um, I thought, man, I know I could, I know I could do that. And I know that that would really give me the the practice and the reps and really be able to show the UFC what I'm capable of doing. So um, very quickly, like as soon as I saw it, I just made a bunch of calls to people who I thought might know people who might be able to get me in touch with people. And that's kind of how that came about. So it was a, it's a combination of internal discussions and visualization <laughs> and manifesting a, a coupled with a lot of just like chutzpah and asking and making, making things happen when I knew uh, that they needed to. Well, the asking is the important part because a lot of yeah. people will not envision you in a certain role unless you come out and say, this is something I'm interested in. So it's uh, definitely the right steps to get to where you were. But I want to really hit the rewind button. You fought in Invicta. Yeah. When did the broadcasting switch hit? Like, when did you decide that, or did somebody just say, hey, you'd be good at this, you should try it? It was that, it was the latter. You know, I, my passion for MMA has always been there. I started watching MMA, you know, early 2000s. When I was in college, I'd stay up late and watch Pride and, all that. And then I started training in 2006. And then, um, you know, I was at a gym that really encouraged you like, Oh no, you got at least got at least take one fight to tell your grandkids about. And then of course, you know, that's a drug you're never going to get away from as soon as you win a fight. So, um, and then, you know, Invicted didn't exist when I started and then it came along and then that became the goal because it was like, this is, this is the top of the mountain for women's MMA. And I had that, I won my fight and, you know, I didn't step away from fighting because I wasn't good at it. I, I was very good at it. And it just became a thing about priorities. I had my son. I got pregnant during camp for my next fight. Um, I don't recommend switching birth controls, thinking that your cut is going to be easier. Just a note to the lady fighters out there. Um, so it was just a, a shift in priorities. And I went right back to training as soon as I had my son. And I actually trained through my eighth month of pregnancy, intending, I thought, maybe to go back. But anyone who has kids will tell you they they absorb your life in, in a beautiful and wonderful way, but in a way that you're not really prepared for until you have one. And when Invicta was the top of the mountain and still is, if you're an atom weight, and I thought, okay, I can dedicate six hours a day to, you know, maybe at the top of my career making, you know, five and five or three, you know, whatever it is, not something that you can really call um, a career, truly. Uh, and Shannon called me out of the blue. I remember at my brother-in-law's house, it was, or my brother's house, I should say. Um, and she said, hey, we're thinking of kind of um, mixing up the broadcast team a little bit. And I think you'd be really good on camera. Um, but first, I would like you to inter interview Marlouz Kunin. She's going to be in town for a fight. And um, we want to talk to her, but we don't have like a sideline reporter. So would you do it? And I said, Shannon, I've never, never talked on camera. I've never gone to school for this. Like, this is not, I've never done anything remotely like this. And she's like, Oh, you'll be fine. You're going to be great. <laughs> so I did it. And it turns out I enjoyed it. And I was good enough. I wouldn't say I was great at first. But I wasn't great for a few years. Um, 
And then they added me to the broadcast team in Invicta where I would handle the all of the post-fight in Octagon interviews and kind of split that role with Julie Kedzie. And that's it. You know, Katie barred the door from there. I loved it. It kept me ingrained and close to the sport that I knew I didn't want to give up. Um, it just kind of like I just took a different path within MMA. Is it hard for you to balance parenting with this job? I mean, I know you have a, a son. I don't remember how old he is, but uh, is, is it tough to uh, to do this when you have a son at home? Yes, yes. And thankfully, I have a team of support, mainly my husband, of course, who also has a very hectic job. He owns a company and has his facilities in Michigan. So he has been through periods, not recently, but been through periods where he's traveling all the time. And the, the other person that truly makes this all possible um, is our nanny, Rose. And she's like a part of our family. She's been with us for four years now. And um, man, it, it truly takes a village. Today's a perfect example. I had to uh, I had to have a meeting with his school. And then I came back home and we have I live on a ranch and we have a calf that is uh, sick right now and is an orphan. So we have to bottle feed it because it doesn't have a mom to nurse from. And it took a turn for the worst, and I had to rush it to the vet today in the back of our SUV, and like our nanny's holding the calf, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm gonna make these interviews. I had to cancel a couple of interviews I had. So, yes, balancing motherhood, ranching, uh, and and working is is it's a bit of a juggling act at times, but I enjoy the variety, the spice of life, right? <laughs> the, the ranching part is the part I can't imagine. Just adding that to the workload. Like that, that to me is like tip of the iceberg type stuff where something like yeah. that happens and it just throws your whole day for a loop. It does. I remember one year I came back, I think it was, oh, it had to have been the first year of Contender Series because I, the night before I had been like, you know, I had gone to a concert, a private concert with Snoop. I still had my eyelashes on. I probably still had my same makeup on because I got to bed, I got to bed real late. Woke up early, caught my flight, and as soon as my, I landed, my husband's like, hey, we've got a cow, she's really struggling, I'm out of town, you need to go take care of it. So I'm like out in the pasture with our then three-year-old son trying to help deliver this calf. It was a whole, it was like a seven-hour ordeal, and I just remember thinking, like, ten hours ago, I was hanging out with Snoop Dogg, and here I am with, you know, afterbirth all over me. <laughs> it's just a weird juxtaposition for sure. <laughs> so you've personally delivered cows before? I mean, I've helped. I've not done it by myself. But what happened was they said they sent a vet out who was my size and her calf jack didn't work. And the calf jack is like basically some chains that you reach inside the cow. You put the chains around the calf's uh, legs and that has a brace and you just use this crank to like and it pulls the calf out. Her jack was broken, so she had to do it manually. And she wasn't quite big and strong enough, so I kind of had to step in and help her on that one. And meanwhile, I'm like trying to hold my son and not let him get trampled if this cow gets mad. And then it got dark. It was a whole thing, Aaron. It was a whole, whole mess. <laughs> well, I do not know how we got here, but let's get back to uh, Sorry. <laughs> let's get back to the, the, the task at hand. You are somebody who likes to envision your goals. I'm guessing that you don't want to stop with the Dana White Contender Series and you want to eventually no. be in the booth for a UFC event. Uh, do you have a... a timetable where you think that you know where ideally you would like for this to happen well listen my timetable is always going to be as soon as possible that's just kind of how i operate um luckily i am i am surrounded by a great team of uh superiors who uh at the right time will hopefully uh, make that happen i think you know um I, i'm super excited that I, I get to call every week of the contender series because i think that it's going to accomplish a lot of things obviously it's great practice for me um, i'm going to get familiar with 
almost every analyst that we use. So between Paul and DC and this week coming up, Michael Bisping is going to be calling with me. So that's great too. I get to work with a variety of people and figure out it's kind of, you know, doing color commentary with a, a second person is kind of like dancing with someone or hitting mitts with someone for the first time. And it can either flow right away or sometimes you kind of have to like figure out how each other, you know, how you guys move. So I'm great. I'm thankful I have the opportunity to do that. And then I think at the end of the season, you know, we'll see. I would love to be able to call a fight night by the end of the year, but that's it's it's up to people who know better than I do when the uh, time for that would be. Do you ever have these, I guess, uh, visions where one day you're just you're at the arena and they're like, we need somebody quick. And you're like, can you go to the desk? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I've had that vision for a while. In fact, I thought I kind of thought for a while that that might be how this opportunity would happen. So I was always it's another way of manifesting. Honestly, I would almost always travel with a this sounds goofy, but I would always travel with a blazer, which is why I happen to have one on Tuesday. And it shouldn't matter what I wear. It doesn't matter what I wear. But the fact is that I want to differentiate you alluded to it before, right? It's hard to when people only know me as a reporter. And I think in a traditional female role as well. That's a big part of it. Um, it's hard to make that transition and look like you belong on, on this desk of guys. And it's as silly as it is, what you wear sometimes matters as well. So I would always pack a blazer or a suit that would be a little bit more appropriate for that role. And it just so happened I needed it. <laughs> I needed it two Tuesdays ago. So um, yeah, that's a thought I'd had before, you know, just you know, praying, praying that Paul gets a terrible case of diarrhea. Just kidding. I, I would never wish that on him, but <laughs> it had crossed my mind before. Do you wear heels <laughs> on these Tuesday nights where you have to run from place to place to place? Because you say, you know, it doesn't really matter what you wear. But I think for utility's sake, I'm curious about this. I do. And that's when vanity plays a role because I am built, I'm built like a wiener dog. I have the shortest legs in the world. Uh, and so I just feel better in heels, I feel more proportionate. And so even though, yes, I am as fast as possible running down a flight of stairs through a series of hallways and around the octagon in order to make it in, in time to, to make the announcement, I just, I don't think we're giving up the heels, even if it means making that job a little bit harder. We, I thought about like having tennis shoes on and then having my heels like right at the octagon because they do see my feet when I go in. Um, but the whole like switching of shoes was just going to take more time. So I've run in those heels a lot through many arena. We can, we got it. We're good. All right. Well, as long as you've got the experience, you are a five tool yeah. player. You're showing that you can do absolutely everything that the UFC asks you to do. And uh, I, I love seeing you in this new role. Uh, congratulations on it and for being a pioneer in the mixed martial arts space. Uh, and thank you for your time. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate it very much. And I, I, I'll always enjoy talking to you and seeing you backstage. So thank you for having me on. I'm now joined by the newest Canadian signed to the UFC roster, Chad Anheliger. Is it Anheliger or Anheliger? I want to make sure I get it right. Anheliger. Okay, Anheliger. Well, we're going to be talking uh, quite frequently, so I want to make sure I've got it right from here on out. So right now, you're at work. You're already back in Calgary, back to your day-to-day -day job. Yeah, man. A lot of people uh, claim they've burned the candle on both ends, but I got, I got all four sides going. I'm, I'm never stopping. I'm already working today. Well, never stopping seems to be your motto. You start your professional career two and five. From there, you haven't lost for seven years. Uh, what do you think was the key to your success to be able to maintain uh, such a, a high level and eventually work your way into the UFC? Um, I don't know. I might just call it stubbornness, I guess. I, I put myself in a position where um, uh, I couldn't lose. It just was not an option anymore. I had to take 
Um, every fight so incredibly serious. And um, I had to train so hard. Every fight I trained for, like it was the most important fight ever because it was. I could not lose one more time. And I knew that. And if I did, I would definitely not be here talking to you right now. So I put a lot of pressure on myself and in those fights. And um, it just made me get better out of necessity. I couldn't lose and maybe fight harder because I couldn't lose. And um, yeah, it ended up working out for me. I used to be really frustrated at that start of my career, but I don't think I'd be here now without it. So I'm happy. Well, as a testament to your resilience, you're turning 35 at the end of the year. Uh, that's probably when you make your UFC debut, you're going to be 35 years old uh, as a bantamweight. So the deck stacked against you a little bit in that regard. But what do you hope to achieve now that you're in the UFC? Oh, man, I want everything that comes with it. I want the big fights. I want big tests. Um, I'm, I'm reaching as high as I can possibly reach. I, I keep uh, setting these, these, these very difficult standards and goals for myself. And I'm, I don't let myself down. So I'm just going to keep uh, moving that the, the rungs up on the ladder and keep reaching and reaching and reaching. And, and, and I'm excited. And I know uh, I'm getting up there in age, but um, uh, I'm a smart fighter and I train smart and I have really great balance in my life. So uh, I'm in no rush. I feel great. This is the best Chad and Helga there's ever been. So, you know, what better one to be in the UFC than this one? So the easy question would be, who do you want to fight next? I'm not going to ask you that question. What I want to ask you is, who do you most compare yourself to that's currently in the UFC in terms of your fighting style? And who are your favorite bantamweights to watch? Oh, man, I, I'm, I'm loving the top of the division right now. Those guys are so exciting. They're so awesome to watch. Yan and Sterling and, and Mareb, um, Aldo killing it out there. It's just that there's the, the top of the division is so highly skilled. It, uh, it brings a lot of attention to, to our weight class, and, and I love every minute. I love watching those guys. Uh, as far as myself and how I stack up and, and who I stack up with out there, um, I think there's a bit of a, a division within the division. Um, you know, the top half is, is very heavy, very, very talented, but the bottom half is, uh, is just low-hanging fruit for me. I feel like I'm already better than I've already fought tougher guys than a lot of those guys, so uh, I'm not afraid of any of them. So I hate to ask you this question while you're currently at work, but are you hoping to become a full-time fighter now that you're in the UFC? Yeah, I'd love to be able to commit more. Uh, I, I'm very lucky with my job and the support I get. Um, so, you know, that that's something I'll, I'll deal a little bit more with as we go on. But for right now, um, it's given me a lot of success doing both. So I don't really want to change anything that's given me success. I might try to accent it a little bit and take a little bit more time off here and there. But um it's a style i've done it for you know 13 years uh working training working training and uh it's working for me so you know why, why, why mess it up so who do you train with out in calgary i know you moved camps at some point in time because when you were two and five all the people from this camp were beating you that's right yeah i'm with champions creed and uh i mean we just got we have so many great um teammates out there so we have fighters we have a lot of great fighters i mean you're gonna start seeing i mean champions creed has the only three UFC fighters to ever come out of Calgary, and um, that's no coincidence. I mean, it doesn't happen three times. We got Nick Ring, Hakeem Dawoodu, and my, now myself. Uh, but the, the guys coming up underneath us are, are killers. I mean, they're, they're, they're better than we were when we started. So we've got a big wave coming behind us, and, and I really think Champions Creed is going to be one of those those uh, super gyms that uh, everybody flocks to because, I mean, we've got all the best guys. I mean, as far as fighters, we have a ton but outside of that, we've got a super strong jiu-jitsu program. I'm in there rolling with black belts constantly. Our gym is just packed with killers. Same with our kickboxing side. Those guys are all killers. So, I mean, it's just such a thick, 
full team that, I mean, all, I don't even have to think about it. I wake up, I know exactly where I'm going each day. I'm going to Champions Creed. I'm not bouncing around to this gym and then go meet those guys and do that. It's simple for me. I leave work and I go to Champions Creek and that's it. Well, that's great to hear. And I mean, there's also that great camp in Edmonton. So it's nice to see uh, Western Canada starting to get represented at the UFC. Uh, you know, we've got Tanner Bozer um, and, and his camp out in, in Edmonton where they're, they're really starting to develop a lot of talent there as well. So uh, what do you think is the key out in Western Canada with, with such growth over there in terms of mixed martial arts? Yeah, I, I talked about it a bit in my pre-fight interview too. It's just um, the quality of our fighters out here is just really, really high. We don't have easy fights. They're not, they don't exist. There, there is no... Oh, and 42 fighters out here for us to sign up against and, and make our records look real fancy at 10 and 0. We've got real records versus real opponents. And I feel like that's why when we get to these bigger stages, we're doing well. Um, you know, we don't have these padded records because we just don't have the population for the fight cards for. If there's fight cards happening every weekend all over, you're going to just have whoever to sign up and fight. It's easy. But here, everybody's clamoring for fights. They're you know, people are willing to pay their own way, whatever it takes to get out there and fight. We got real fighters out here, so I think it's um, it's transferring into some of our success in the big shows. One of your recent wins was against Brady Heastand, and he was on this season of The Ultimate Fighter and did really well. Got to the finale and actually looked great during the finale. When you saw how good of an account he had of himself, did, was that what let you know that you were ready for the UFC? It did help a little bit. You know, I always knew where I was at. I'm pretty confident in myself and my skills. Uh, I knew how tough Brady was because I was in there with him. And I knew that when I got that win, that it was a very significant win. It was tough. I had to, to dig deep for it and, and, and work hard and be you know very cautious against him. So I already knew that how tough he was. It just, if anything, it was more of a, um, you know, bring a little bit more attention to myself before my fight. So it worked out great for me. But uh, I didn't put a whole lot of stock into it. I'm happy for him. I'm good. He, glad he was able to, to do what he did but you know i had my own goals and my own plan so i didn't really attach myself to him that much he's already in my rear view mirror now you were a sizable underdog going into this fight on the contender series and when dana white was making his decision i said beforehand i really hope that he factors in how big of an underdog chad was in this fight uh your style was very conducive to earning points on the judges scorecard uh, based on the criteria against a, a grappling based fighter um do you think that that helped you in terms of when Dana White was going to make his decision? And how confident, if you were to put a percentage on it, especially after seeing those last fights, uh, of how confident you were you were going to get a contract, where would you, uh, I guess, pin that at? Well, the the confidence percentage was going down and down and down <laughs> as those other guys went out there and caught finishes. I was like, shit. Uh, I was pretty confident when I first started, um, like right after the fight was over, because I knew I, I poured it all on the line, and that's uh, that's important to Dana is that, you know, I'm not leaving anything in the cage. I fought as hard as I can fight that guy. Uh, I definitely did. So um, I was pretty confident in my performance. But, yeah, that, they, those other competitors put pressure on me for sure. I was so relieved to hear it that I got it, man. I was just I – w- I was anxious. I, I was sitting, you know, 50-50. My brain would go one way and then the other. So I was really happy to get it. And the fight itself, uh, I knew what I was getting into. I knew what he does well. And uh, I wasn't trying to um, – uh, freak myself out or, oh, I can't get taken down. I'm probably going to get taken down. The guy's a, a super high-level grappler, but I didn't want to not throw my hands hard because I'm scared of a takedown. I didn't want to not try any kicks because I'm scared of a takedown. I just want to fight my fight, and he's going to fight his fight. And uh, the more I can stop his offense while creating my own, that's what fighting is. So I'm glad the judges saw it that way and, and Dana as well. And how confident were you that the judges were going to get it right? Because I think that they did get it right in terms of giving you the decision. Uh, I was super confident uh, until I heard that it was a split decision. But after the fight, I mean, 
uh, Mune and his team were dejected. My team was already like ready to hoist me on their shoulders pretty much. I was confident I won. Um, I was never in danger. Um, he had some positional stuff, but I mean, I mean, look at my fit. I'm back at work. I'm fine. You know, I, I really dealt that he is. So uh, I was very confident. But then, you know, of course, dealt creeps in when I heard split. Uh, I'm very, very glad that they got it right, though. And finally, when you hit that knee and he, he went down, how much pressure on you is there? Sorry, how much yeah, pressure is on you at that moment to get the finish, knowing how this show works? Because this isn't the normal <laughs> fight where you just, you know, you, you can go and you can win a decision and, and be guaranteed a contract. You need to do things very, you know, extreme in order to get that contract. Did you feel that pressure in the moment or are you like, let's just let this flow and whatever happens, happens. Don't don't push it too, too hard. I'm actually really lucky because my fighting style is exactly what they want out of the contender series anyway. I didn't have to change anything. I just fought every fight like I always did. I had no extra pressure to try harder or to finish more. Every time I'm fighting, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to hurt these guys. I'm trying to finish these guys. So it was all very natural. Uh, but I did you know, want the finish, and I was working hard and punching and punching. But the guy is just tough, man. He would not quit, and he wouldn't lay over for me. All it would have taken was him to just roll a little bit, cover up a little bit, and I, and I think I could have got the stoppage, but he wanted it too. He battled that. Uh, he battled and pushed me, so I blew my blew my lungs a little bit on it, but um, I went for it, and, and he was just tough. It wasn't for lack of me trying, for sure. And when are you hoping to make your UFC debut? You know, I, I feel great. I, I'd like to get in there sooner than later. Um, I got a few little things to heal up on, on my body, but uh, they're all really minor stuff, just, you know, regular day of uh, MMA does pretty much the same damage anyway. So take a little bit of a break, but um, I mean, I'm ready to go. I, I feel like I've got lots of great potential matchups. I don't, you know, cut a lot of weight or, or anything. So I can, you know, I just stay in shape and I'm just looking for opportunities. I, I have a habit of making the most of opportunities. So I just want as many as I can get. All right, Chad. Well, I appreciate your time. I love the way you represent Canada. You're the epitome of the blue collar Canadian that just brings his lunchbox to work and works hard. And I didn't even know you worked at Bass Pro Shops. Well, that, that, that just cemented my mentality when it came to, uh, to pegging you as one of these guys from, from, from the West Coast uh, that just likes to bring their lunch pail to work and, and get things done. So uh, best of luck to you in the future. Congrats on the contract and look forward to speaking with you again. Yeah, I appreciate the time, man. Thank you. A sincere and humble thank you to our guests, Derek Brunson, Laura Sanko, and Chad and Helliger for joining me on this week's show. No UFC event this weekend. However, we do have, I even hate talking about it, but uh, Evander Holyfield boxing against Vitor Belfort. I don't know how this thing got sanctioned in the state of Florida, but uh, here we are. So and I'm still on the fence about whether or not I'm actually going to watch this thing. I talked to Joe about it this week. I'm leaning towards no, but who knows? You know, sometimes you're on Twitter that night, people are talking about it, the FOMO kicks in, and you want to go and watch it. And I, I always want to see Anderson Silva perform, one of my favorite of all time. And he's on the card, boxing against Tito Ortiz. So, again, we're talking about boxing here, and, and I just mentioned three UFC legends on this boxing card, and one, of course, one of the great all-time boxers, and Evander the Real Deal Holyfield. But find out next week on the show. If I decided to uh, actually dive headfirst into what may be a train wreck, another thriller train wreck this weekend. Thank you for tuning in this week to the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.